Jersey's big and bold radio conversation. There's always something going on. Your radio doctor, business, everything tech, and Rwanda's Green Agenda, Saturdays at 10 a.m. Welcome to yet another broadcast. My name is Jesse the African Sun. I am in the School of Business together with my friend and colleague Ephraim Ramwenke. Yes, <laughs> you got it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I always say it's the way you said it the first time I met you. But That's, okay, that to your to your defense, maybe I said it as Ephraim Ramwenke, hmm. but it's Ephraim Ramwenke. I think you had just come from the diaspora that time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. But this is this is listener feedback. It's not even me who complain. Listeners are like, but Ephraim, why does he keep calling you Ephraim Ramwenje? I'm like, I will ask him. We have learned so many things over the days. Yeah. We're looking at sales. Uh, we looked at the art of prospecting. It is critical to understand buyer behavior. Mm-hmm. This is a very critical aspect of marketing and doing sales in business. What is a buyer behavior and why is it essential for businesses to comprehend? We talked actually in the last episode, I mentioned how when you apply empathy to the sales process, mm. and I mentioned the sales channel versus the, the sales funnel, I mentioned that you're putting yourself in the, in the shoes of the you're putting yourself in the shoes of the customer. Now, when you're in the shoes of the customer, you're looking at it from that perspective. Now, you're talking about the identification, the research, um, the purchase decision and the experience and that whole cycle that happens when it comes to buying the product. Mm. Now, if we're truly honest, why why you need to understand consumer behavior or customer behavior um, in the context of sales is because at the end of the day, whether you like it or not, the power is in their hands. The power is in their hands. Or the buyer. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're the ones who determine whether the value is worth the amount of money that you've put. So mm-hmm. they make that decision. They're the boss at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's why you find that there's this common um, phrase that is coined, uh, the customer is always right. And sometimes, you know, let me, let's be honest. We, as business owners, our egos are sometimes very inflated. So you find sometimes a customer is stressing you. Um, sometimes a customer is delaying to pay you. Sometimes a customer also always complains about the product. And you can see that this, these complaints are not genuine. They're actually just doing it to negotiate as a negotiating tactic. And we get frustrated, but at the end of the day, the customer is always right because they have that authority to determine whether whether that sale is made or not. Let's talk like buyers because, I mm-hmm. mean, in as much as we are sellers mm-hmm. and traders, mm-hmm. we are also buyers. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to me on an individual level mm-hmm. your decision-making process as a buyer? Typically, what do you go through when making a significant purchase? So as much as I would like to lie... <laughs> and tell people that it's 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 I think it through I plan it's it's like ninety nine point nine nine percent emotional. That's how you purchase. Yeah, we spend money on based on a few elements, right? So there's how it makes us feel um, when it comes to our ego. So that ego purchases. So someone's mm. going to buy themselves a very expensive item because they're trying to impress somebody or someone or some people or a group of individuals, or they just want that feeling to know that, hey, I have this. Um, there are those who make revenge purchases. What is a revenge purchase? Revenge purchase is where 
and this is this is something I, I I heard recently where they were talking about how you if you were if you grew up um, less fortunate or even at this age you you don't have as much money hmm. as you would like and somebody snubbed you or somebody mistreated you because of the lack of money uh, or because you lacked something the moment you get that money you go and get everything you felt like you never had because now you it's a thing like you just want to validate to yourself that now i have what i have and i can afford to buy it so you find a lot of us make those purchases obviously then there are the purchases for necessity this is purely driven by price where you just the math is the the, the month is, is 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 it has reached like the the 17th or the 18th mm. You have written to all your friends to send you 50k. And none of them are like, hey, but man, things are things are tight, yeah? and 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 you find that it reaches that point where you don't know. You're you pretty much are penny pinching. You it's the month is tight. Yeah. Now what ends up happening is that in such cases you're gonna buy the essentials. You're not gonna buy a soap because it smells good. You're gonna buy it because it's the cheapest. You're not gonna go and make purchases based on ego. You're gonna buy based on necessity and then there's also the functionality that people who buy purely because of functionality mm -hmm. again mm. there are very few um again because and i say this because we make most of our purchase decisions are made um from an emotional perspective and that's why i have this trick now this is personal finance this has nothing to do with business but um again there was a listener who asked and he's like please Ephraim. We're business owners, yes. And you talked about cash flow for the business, yes. And you talked about commingling funds as a business owner. But what do we do on a personal level when it comes to our personal finances? Mm. Because that, that's where the problem lies. And I said, okay, I'll see how I can figure it out and incorporate it. So here's just a piece of advice for, for that listener. Um, do your budget, your budget three times. Review your budget. Make it and then review two times after. Because there's a way, every time you keep going back to your budget, you realize that when you made the budget the first time, there were so many unnecessary exp things that you put That's in That's right, yes. Yeah, so you, you do the first budget, give yourself some time. Before you start spending money, check it again. You have reduced it a bit. And the purpose of checking it again is not to add, it's to subtract. So what, what you do the first time is the maximum. Mm. Never add after that. Keep subtracting, keep subtracting, keep subtracting. The money needs to get less. Mm. And so by the time you get to the third one, you'll find that you don't actually need all the things you need to. So now that makes it a little bit less emotional. So I'm saying what drives all of us is emotion. Mm. That identification is an emotional experience. That first thing when we see a product, it's, oh my God, this thing can do what I, what I need. It can fix my problem. It can do this. It can what? It can feed my ego. It can, all of that. Like if I ask somebody about why use buy the IT, iPhone 15 versus the 14? It's still a phone, yeah? <laughs> it's still an iPhone, if that's your thing. But it's about prestige to have the latest iPhone, you know? When you, when you talk about cars, yeah, they understand comfort. But there's a point where comfort stops being that much of a difference, you know? It's not just about prestige to say that I own such and such a car. Mm -hmm. When we talk of even house purchases... You might find a three-bedroomed house in Chichichira is better than a three-bedroomed house. Or it might even be better than a three-bedroomed house in Chibagabaga or Kachiru. But you go to that place because it's almost like when you have someone asks you, where do you stay? Mm -hmm. 
you know it you can always give them a, a prominent address so the logic is the logic is simply we are emotional when it comes to our purchases so now if we flip sides we are now the sellers mm-hmm. how do we tap into this emotional behavior mm-hmm. that buyers explore into mm-hmm. what they are making purchase decisions thank you for that now jesse look at when i talked about the who uh, when we talk of strategy mm. Um, and you know why I keep bringing up these four W's of, of, of the four W's of, uh, of strategy? Because at the end of the day, your business is founded on that. Like if you can figure that stuff out, you'll be surprised how much you can do mm. and what you can achieve. When you look at your who, when you're sitting down to define who your customer is and you're reiterating to figure out who they really are based on the purchasing um, patterns in your business, you're going to land on what I like to call a demogra- demographic map. Mm. or demographic mapping. What does that simply mean? When I'm lo- trying to determine customers for my business, or for example, like we were talking about your spa. Yeah. You're trying to determine people for your spa. You're going to say, okay, um, I'm anticipating women between the ages of 18 to 45. Okay, actually 18 is too young. Let's say 25 to 45, right? Who are going to be needing these services at least m- once a month minimum, right? Mm. When you take it like that, you're going to now say, okay, the women between 25 to 30, you break them out into five-year five age groups. Why do they buy? Actually, before you even get to why do they buy, you first have to talk about who they are. So they're probably single, no kids, um, probably have a job, their income levels are X. Um, they have socials that, that are more socially inclined, like they meet with their friends regularly. This you literally get as much detail, even if it seems unnecessary. For mm-hmm. example, like how much time they spend on social media, mm-hmm. like that's actually not unnecessary, that's really necessary data. But <laughs> but you just get so much, like literally, like how many, like the average size of their friend groups, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Once you now have all those details and you do that for 25 to 30, 30 to 35, 35 to 40, 40 to 45, right. You have all these different information. Like, for example, the 40 to 45, they probably have a job. They're probably married. They have X amount of kids, um, X, Y, and Z. And you have all this data. What normally happens is that now you can try to figure out why they would buy from you Mm. from an emotional perspective. So, for example, the 25 to 30-year-old will probably buy because her friends are buying. This is Living Entrepreneurship by Solti. As we have this conversation, just to remind you, here is not just about to give tips, but we bring the theory into the practice and then merge them because FRM is really good at this. Mm-hmm. We're speaking the psychology of sales. And in this particular episode, it's understanding buyer behavior. Now, I know, Ephraim, that building rapport and trust is very key. Mm. Any personal uh, strategies you'd like to share on a business connecting with customers? Okay, so this one is extremely personal to me because trust, trust was a very, trust or the lack of it was very pivotal to one of the experiences I went through recently mm. um, that really changed my life, for the better, by the way. Mm-hmm. There's a saying I have, and actually this one came from an ex-girlfriend I had a long time ago. Mm. 
but she didn't coin the state the saying but it i derived it from what the conversations we used to have mm-hmm. small promises big deal wow small promises big deal i know that really sounds like a sound bite it really sounds like one of those things you put on a billboard but it's really <laughs> it's really that like small promises big deal what does that simply mean imagine trust as a as a bank account between me and you Jesse and Ephraim mm-hmm. you're the you're the you're the spa owner I'm the customer where we have this account this this bank account it's a joint bank account so mm-hmm. meaning I can deposit I can withdraw you can deposit you can withdraw and we keep putting into it and the balance is the balance as it grows is the trust that grows between us mm. interesting thing is that small promises because they happen more often than the big ones mm. so the big promises on the sales delivery on the on the delivering on the USP that you have promised the the purchase um, the sales promise of value all of those things those are the big ones you know even the customer honoring a payment on time is a big one yes that's true but we're talking of the small ones if you make if someone can do if someone can honor small promises every day every time every hour in every interaction it builds that trust it builds that rapport as you called it it's a deposit into that account it's a deposit into that account it's a deposit into that account so what ends up happening and now let me use the example of a relationship if i tell my my significant other hey babe i'm going to come and pick you up at 7 and i show up at 7 and every time i give her time i show up on time i say babe i'm going to call you at x time and i call her at that specific time even if Jesse you go and you're anti progress and you're like oh your man is cheating on you she won't believe you mm-hmm. it would be hard for her because she's like how because he has honored all these small promises so what has happened is that the account of trust is full and so what happens between a business owner and a cus- and a consumer or a business and its, its its customers is that those little promises have to be honored in a practical way what does that look like let your res- respond to messages quickly on social media if that's one of your channels of communicating with your customers mm-hmm. if you tell your customer we are going to get back to you on that on based on an inquiry you get back to them on that if they tell you hey we're going to give you a quotation today by close of business you make sure that they get it even slightly before close of business mm-hmm. why because those are deposits into that small promises very small deposit 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 so that when at the a time comes let's say if the sales promise is not on is not honored Mm. like the 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 customer comes for a massage and let's say one of the masseuses is not good enough what ends up happening is that the customer is disappointed by the service but because of everything you've done around it you can apologize they trust that you're good and they will always come back they will know that it's not you it's an isolated incident but if you don't reply on time you don't know what and then that sales promise is like but this person is not serious as we close down this first part of our conversation just got reminded of that big statement those days when i went to church when the preacher would say that one act of love mm-hmm. covers a multitude yeah of all the evil yeah so i always look forward to the big one Yeah. <laughs> we all we all we all do. But so small promises big deal, Jesse. Exactly. It's Ephraim from Wenke and Jesse <laughs> the African son here on this conversation by living entrepreneurship by Salty. We're having a conversation on the psychology of sales and this day 
understanding buyer behavior. We'll be back right after these messages. Doctor, business, everything tech, and Rwanda's green agenda on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Welcome back to today's conversation. It is understanding your buyer behavior. Everyone opens shop because they intend to make a sale, but finding your first customer does not always come easy. You always have no guarantee mm. that. A customer is going to walk into your stall or they will request for your service. Unless if you've done good homework and understood a problem does exist Mm -hmm. and everyone is looking forward to your solution. It's like coming up with a a treatment for cancer Mm -hmm. and everyone has to look for you. Uh, then you can guarantee yourself that mm. there will be a customer because there are so many sick people mm. that uh, should find your solution anyway. So, Ephraim, let's get to this. Storytelling. Mm. I know this can be a very powerful tool, and mm. I think every business needs to master mm. how to tell their story. Mm. I could give an example of this country, Rwanda, how Rwanda has told its story mm. to the world. Mm. I don't know if storytelling the same as doing your PR, mm. uh, writing all those positive, good stories, highlighting all the better things that have d- been done in the country. Mm. But could you give an example in your world of trade and the things that you have done, give an example of how you have used storytelling to connect with customers, especially mm. on an emotional level? Okay. I th- let me use the example of Thomas Ford. Mm. So I had a company that did real estate services. And so real estate services, we pretty much were doing co-work spaces, service offices, um, and everything around it. The auxiliary services that dealt with that particular type of business, Mm -hmm. right? What we were trying to do when we started was to decommoditize office space decommoditize office space and i've mentioned this in a previous podcast we were trying to we were trying to shift from people looking at office space per square meter and we wanted customers to understand their own need because a customer would come to you oh i need how much are you charging per square meter for them because they had been so conditioned to that there's a there's a story about um how we get conditioned to do things. And I think I've shared this story before. I don't know if I've shared it about, um, no, I've not shared it on this podcast, about a young lady, very young, maybe about eight years old. Mm. And she's with her mother and they're cooking dinner for Thanksgiving. And so this is a, a US story. So Thanksgiving, normally they make a turkey. Yeah. So she sees the mother cut off the legs of the turkey before she puts it in the oven. So the little girl will call her Sarah, ask the mother and go, mommy, why, why do you... Um, cut off the legs her mom is like um i don't know that's a good question but i that's how i saw my mother do it and so they're like okay let's call her so they call sarah's grandma like hey granny um or the mother is like hey mom um sarah is here she wants to know why do i cut off the legs off the turkey before i put in the oven her grandma is like sarah's grandma is like i don't know it's how i saw my mother do it Mm. so then they call uh, sarah's great granny 
um, Nana, why, why we, Sarah wants to know why we cut off the legs of the turkey before we put it in the, in the oven. Now listen to this. She says, you know, when, when you guys were growing up, I had a really small and tiny oven. So that was the only way I could get the turkey to fit in the, mm. in the oven. Now you have four generations down the line that cut off the legs that, that have big enough ovens and they do it the way they do it. Mm-hmm. And so you find it's the same thing even when we were, I was dealing with my customers. There was this perspective of office space being per square meter. Now when I managed to convince them to look at it beyond that, to look at it as what am I getting from the space? What is the utility of the space and how does that match with the price you're charging me so what i mean by that is serviced offices mm-hmm. you have a desk you have a chair you have internet you have other services that psychology i had to tell a story i had to sit down and tell a story mm. now what was that story you have to identify the problem the customer has to understand in their mind what is the problem that i have the problem is that you're paying for extra space that you don't need. Mm-hmm. You're paying for per square meter, but you find you don't actually need all that space and you don't even have to pay for it. And then you're going to spend all this money buying furniture that you actually are not going to keep for the duration of your business. Instead, just pay for it as you use it. Mm. You understand? That was the first thing. Then I had to also show them because while showing the customer a problem, it's very hard to justify your price of the problem unless you can justify the cost of not solving that problem. Mm-hmm. So you have to take a step and say, okay, take a step back and be like, okay, this is your problem. If you don't solve this problem with the solution I'm trying to provide, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is the cost. So now you have quantified the, the problem. It has a numeric value. Someone knows it's gonna. It's costing me X to do this. That's why we showed guys this redundant assets you've had. You've you spent twenty million to set them up. When are you gonna recover that money back? Instead, just factor a little bit into your rent over the long run on a five-year contract. You're still not going to have gone into the twenty million in terms of that extra amount that you're paying for for the furniture. Allow me to drug a, a few businesses that I know of into mm-hmm. this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, uh, let's go to the events space. Mm-hmm. There are several events that have flopped uh, around Kigali. They've been organized. When they happen in other markets, they succeed. Like meat and meat, mm-hmm. uh, there's uh, blankets and wine and several others that do happen. But then you find that the same concept being applied in our market here it's it's not picking up. Is it an issue of how the story around the event is being told that people do not find themselves inclining towards participating? By the way, I think that's a very, very interesting point you're bringing forward. Um, I cannot speak specifically to any particular event because I'm, I don't know the the backstory. Mm-hmm. But I can just tell you from my own understanding and my own experience in relation to saying to to, to in relation to what you're asking about storytelling, as it may be pertained to the the lack of success of some of these events, as compared to their counterparts in other countries, I would say you would be surprised that we assume just because a brand is popular that the brand is enough to carry a product or an event mm-hmm. or service, right? Mm-hmm. We assume just because it's blankets, blankets and wine 
everybody in Rwanda will know Blankets and Wine because you know your brand is a story, by the way. Mm. It, it's, there's a lot of backstory to your brand. Now, the reason why I'm saying so is that let's take Ikea. I love Ikea. Man, I love Ikea. And may he so rest in peace, the founder, he, he, Mr. Campard, he was one of those people that you just look at and you're just like, this is an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Brilliance. He had this thing, Ikea had this thing where regardless of the market, no, it, actually, specifically because of the market, their marketing was, their catalogs were, were designed differently. So in countries, same picture, I wish I could find a way. I'll look for the, the, the content online and share it on my, my, my social feeds. Mm-hmm. You'll find they'll have a picture for the US. The US kitchens, like this is for kitchen, right? The, in the catalog, kitchens are big, spacious, what? So the picture, they've zoomed out and it's spacious. Mm-hmm. Same picture for the Chinese market is cropped. I think it was Chinese or Japanese. Cropped because the kitchens are Smaller. small. So that that story is contextualized for the environment. You don't just make an assumption that we are IKEA and we are IKEA. Mm. I mean IKEA is IKEA. Who doesn't know IKEA? Mm-hmm. But them themselves are like, no, we we're not gonna be we're not gonna pre- be presumptuous. We're here to make money, so let's tell our story as it needs to be told. There's a there's a there's a there's a, a, a philosophy, a theory in, in in for for continental for country expansion for going into multiple countries. It's called Hofstede's cultural model. And it's it's something that's very brilliant. It's it's so Hofstede is a is a is a is an economist, I think a business psychologist, and he comes up with a model for helping companies that are expanding into other territories, other countries. And he has the five elements of that of that um, of that model. So he has power distance, he has individualism versus collectivism, he has mas- feminism, sorry, masculine versus feminine. Mm-hmm. He also has um, Okay, I can't remember the others, but pretty much that model shows you that some, like, let me take power distance for ex- as an example. There are some countries where the CEO and the lowest person in the company interact. They can go for a drink, they can hang out, and it's not frowned upon. It's not, that one, that country is said to have a very low power distance. In some countries, the CEO cannot even breathe the same oxygen as his managers, his direct reports. Mm. He is a king out of reach. That country is said to have a high power distance. Countries with individualism versus collectivism is where when you're giving incentives to the employees, you give them to the individual because that society believes in the individual. Mm. Collectivism, it's better to incentivize the group and say, if you guys as a group hit these targets, we will incentivize you guys and each guy, all of you guys will share that. So when somebody decides that they're going to go and try to create a product or bring a product to Rwanda from, I don't know, the US or Europe or Uganda or Kenya or Tanzania, anything coming into this, they need to understand that cultural context. Even for example, let me take for example in my line of work. When you take commodities, you have a situation where you have to bring a bag, like if you're bringing in, let's say, rice or sugar, make sure that it's packaged in a bag that people know like a color. So people are, are, know that rice comes in white bags, as an example, or yellow bags. Mm. You tell the supplier, I want yellow bags. Because you know that it's easier for someone to trust that your rice is rice if the bag is the same color as what he knows. So those are just some of the things when you try to understand the consumer, the psychology behind the consumer, you can tweak and contextualize your product or your service offering to the environment in which you're in. Uh, very well said. Uh, Ephraim, I know that uh, previously we have spoken about rejection 
Mm-hmm. And um, in understanding your buyer behavior, mm-hmm. uh, you know that th- th- there will be several rejections before uh, they say yes to mm-hmm. your offering. And I think we spoke about it uh, in, uh, in the previous episode where you were talking about the first time, the second time, the fourth time, the fifth time. And mm. then when you are giving up as a seller, mm. the buyer is almost making up their mind to actually mm. buy from you. Mm. But the series of rejections, I'd like you to talk about handling objections. They say it's often a mental game. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you have any psychological insights on managing these objections and the customer concerns. Okay, so last time we talked about it from the side of the seller. So you as the business owner getting rejection and how you just have to be okay with that. Mm. Let's talk about it from the consumer perspective. So last time we, what we talked about was one side of the coin. There was another side of the coin. So the one side, you don't just keep going back to the customer to pester them and keep calling them for the pro- to sell the product. That's, that, you don't do that. That's actually, actually, there's a saying, and I love it so much, is that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result because that is actually insanity mm. instead what you do now let's take it look at the other side of the coin now we're looking at it from the the buyer's perspective the psychology of the buyer right we're doing empathetic listening you have to f- again if you have mapped out your customers very well this is very easy because you know wh- who they are mm. you need to figure out why they're not buying why they're saying no there's a reason either they don't have money Mm-hmm. Either they don't need your product. It's not the timing. Maybe it's not the timing. Mm. Um, they have other priorities. Um, they maybe, see more value elsewhere. Uh-huh. Maybe they're even distracted. Or maybe they don't even need the product then. Or maybe there's something that's conditional depending on that will determine whether they take your product or not or how, mu- how much of your product they take. All of those things. So when they say no, probe, ask. You're like, okay, you didn't... You di- you didn't um, do you mind if I ask why? And you say, please be honest with me. Mm. Most people want to explain why they say no. Again, we're talking about psychology here, bro. So most people would, all of, most people are over-explained than under-explained, by the way. You know that, right? Like to find someone who just says no and keeps quiet is very rare. Most people say, no, you see then they want to explain that reason. So give them that opportunity to give you feedback. Once they give you that feedback, it becomes very easy for you to drill down. You say, okay, and then they tell you no, and this is the reason you're like, okay, if it's money related, you're like, can I come back? Can I check on you again? When do you think you will have it? Mm. They'll, They'll give you a date. If they say, no, I'm not interested in the product, you're like, okay, why not? How can we tweak it for you to, be, to get a better? So you find that by doing that, you're pushing for a sale, but you're also getting a chance to understand how to make your product better. Our time is fast spent, mm-hmm. Mr. Saar. Okay. So we need to bring this conversation to a close. <laughs> okay. I think we need to increase the time of this podcast to like one hour. Just no, the way you talk. There will, be another, uh-huh. there will be another episode to finalize this particular part on sales yeah. where we'll be t- touching strategies for successful sales closing, which mm. is, I think is very important mm. after the objections. But, but, th- but that one, you're the one who's going to you're the one who's going to who's going to who's going to handle that. Uh, I'll come with a presentation. Yeah, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to be the interviewer. I'm, like, I'm going to be like, I'll be 
the facilitator. You'll be the host. All right. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. Go on to our socials and Ephraim knows how to bring them off. Find us on social media. You have Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube at Salty Africa. That's S-A-L-T-E-E, Africa. Please do follow and share the content. You might actually change someone's life with the content. Thank you so much. Looking forward to having you again on the next one. God bless you and bye-bye. Doctor, business, everything tech, and Rwanda's green agenda on Saturdays at 10 a.m.